Welcome to the Wild Health Podcast. The EU-funded Wild Health Project aims to conduct research on pervasive e-health and establish a sustainable network of research and dissemination across Europe. You can know more about the project on our webpage wildhealth.eu, YouTube or Twitter. Our guest speaker today is Stefan Konigorski, a senior researcher in the Digital Health and Machine Learning Chair at the Platter Institute in Germany. In this talk, he will discuss the design of StudyU, a platform that allows for bridging individual level and population level studies by aggregating multiple N of 1 trials. Let's dive in. Yes, uh, so thanks again for having me. Um, since we're a small group, so I'm also very happy uh, to take questions in between. So if anybody has questions, uh, feel free. We should have enough time at the end or in between. So I'm happy. I'm happy to go into discussion in the middle also. If uh, you're posting in the chat and I don't see it, um, please speak up, interrupt me. Uh, we should have ample of time for that. Yeah, so um, I'm Stefan Konigorski, a senior researcher at the HPI in the chair of digital health and machine learning, the chair by Christoph Lippert where I'm heading a junior group on health intervention analytics, where we're interested in working on NF1 trials, digital NF1 trials, and that covers both the platform side of it, so the infrastructural part, and then also the methodological part um, that I want to tell you about today. Um, and I, I think there, there are many bridges also to may, maybe what many of you are working on in terms of e-health, in terms of pervasive health, in terms of using sensors. Um, so I'm also interested in hearing about your perspectives on that. With that, I wanted to start with you um, in imagining a situation that maybe some of us are faced with. So let's say that we've read in the papers, we saw an ad where uh, a new app was uh, advertised. Uh, that is telling me it will improve my back pain. And maybe I do have back pain, so that's relevant for me. And I'm thinking about, should I use it? Should I use this new app? Will it help me? So that's directly a question, right? Does it help me? We're right in the context of personalized health, which from the patient perspective or user perspective, this is always how we start with. So does it help me, the app? And if I'm now a user, how would I go about it? How would I try to answer that question, whether I should use it? Well. Maybe it was advertised as such as being a personalized app. Very often apps are. And now the question then is, do I believe it? Uh, what could I do if I want to answer that question, if I should try it out? I could ask myself, well, is the app certified? Has it gone through a certification process where some kind of evaluation is involved? Is it reimbursed maybe by the health insurances beyond that I don't have to pay that also might give me some trust or that might have provided some scientific background if there really is an effect of the app on my health. I might want to wonder, do I want, want to use the app? So is it pleasing? Uh, is it nice to use the app? Or is it really hard to just navigate through? I might wonder about data security. I might ask my physician, um, hey, have you heard about this app? What do you think? Is, is that really helping what the app suggests? Or maybe the app was proposed by my physician. So that could also be the case. Um, is there research that undermines this? And I guess many of the points that I've mentioned here 
um, whether it's reimbursed, whether it's certified, whether my physician uh, might recommend it is based on whether there's research supporting it. And then maybe based on all of that or without all of that, I might come to the conclusion, well, let's just try it out and let me see um, if, if I'm feeling better, uh, if my back pain improves. So what I tried on that slide here is outline some of the things, maybe you come up with a lot of different things also that I can imagine that I ask myself if I'm in a situation and that covers both the user perspective, the personalized health perspective, and then what the researcher, uh, what the physician might have in mind in the background in answering such a question. So how are these evaluated in general? Let's pick up on that. So whenever something goes through the process of certification, maybe even reimbursement through the health insurances, there has to be something in the back of it, some research that's supporting it, which is typically population level research. Um, these are popularly randomized controlled trials. So where you navigate, where you control the situation, where you're evaluating the health intervention by comparing it say to no intervention, and then trying to find out, is there an effect across the population? A certain maybe second grade of evidence if that you're looking at cohort studies. So these are big epidemiological studies where you observe people over time. But all of those eventually look at average effects of the population. So what you can gain from those studies that are very helpful and very meaningful, obviously, is you can find out whether that intervention, that health intervention, that treatment works on average across the population. Which also means that you typically do not zoom in on, a per, on one person for that. And so when you ask yourself, is that really helping me? What you only know in the background is that it's maybe the best treatment on average across the population. Still, that might not tell you something Well, that app in particular will help you and yourself. And actually, if you look at this, so I looked at the app of uh, a back pain app as one example. I think uh, for those kinds of apps and new really digital treatments, there is very little evidence or research on how, like what percentage of people are they actually working on. But if you look at more traditional treatments, uh, like pharmaceutical treatments, even there, the number is surprisingly low um, in how many people treatments uh, work actually and yield an improvement of their health. So there are estimates that obviously differ by, by disease category and by treatments, but it might be about 50% or even higher of people where a given drug doesn't work or might even have negative side effects. So from these population level studies, it's not easy to go to the single level, to the participant level. So in that sense, there is a certain disconnect between the research that's in the background of evaluating apps or that's suggesting just treatments in general and healthcare, which essentially always is personalized healthcare. So what can we do about that for individual level analyses? What you can do is you can try and stratify your analyses or also maybe some implementation in the app by different subgroups. So if the app maybe advertises that it's personalized, maybe the app asks at first some of your demographics, how old are you, what's your sex, what's your uh, BMI, and then maybe depending on that suggests a different kind of treatment, which is some way of personalization, 
still it's typically only going to some subgrouping level and might not well can only go so far so it doesn't really go into a fully individualized you can try to estimate the effect on an individual level from population level studies which is typically very hard because those kind of large cohort studies or randomized controlled trials are not really designed to be analyzed in an individual level manner. And so another option which I want to present to you next is that you design the study for evaluating the efficacy of a treatment directly from the start as an N of 1 trial. So let's talk about N of 1 trials. What are N of 1 trials? From a definition point of view, you could say there are some form of randomized controlled trial, a multi-crossover trial in a single participant. And so let's look at one scenario. Let's say we want to evaluate uh, the effectiveness of using that back pain app on myself um, compared to not doing any treatment or let's say comparing to a standard treatment that I'm taking painkillers from my back pain then how would an N of 1 trial look like? So remember, what I want to do is I want to evaluate whether this helps myself. So in order to answer that question scientifically, I need to gather enough data so I can do statistics on me as a single participant. So I have to set up and design such a trial. For example, that I'm saying the next three days, I'll just observe my baseline back pain levels. Then the next three days that I'm having back pain, I will use the app as the app dictates me and maybe do the exercises that are proposed by the app. Then I'll have, let's say, two blocks uh, of three days when I have back pain, I'm taking painkillers, and let's say another block here on using the app. And if I observe my back pain, then I have, have data and I can draw inference on that and maybe conclude if here this is the height in terms of back pain, that on average the app does a similar good job of decreasing my back pain compared to using painkillers. That could be a conclusion of that. So that's the rough idea of NFON trials that we do in these crossover trials that we switch between the different treatments or treatment and no treatment over time. And then we have enough data so that we can analyze that on a single participant. All right. Now, uh, what you can get from those, obviously, are those individual level effects. You can analyze data on the level of this person. If you conduct the same study, which is often described as series of NFON trials, so that all of us that are here in the Zoom meeting will all do the same trial at the same time, then we can each one of us get effect estimates on ourselves. And in addition, we can aggregate the data, analyze them jointly, and then we can also obtain population level effects from these NFON trials. NFON trials, as a little bit of background, they are not a new idea. In some way, you can imagine it's uh, what maybe physicians do as well in their day-to-day -day practice, that you'll try things out, that you try a treatment over time and see if it works. What we have in this NFON trials that make them specifics is that you design those trials from the beginning also having in mind how much data do you need over time so that you can actually do statistics on that. So the first time this more standardized approach of designing a trial in single participants was introduced in the 50s, 1950s. Then there was more work in the 80s and 90s where also those trials were set up 
more broadly in different hospitals, also as services, helping physicians. That was mostly in uh, Canada, Australia, the US. Um, then things dried out a bit in terms of interest in NFON trials. And in recent years, there has been more interest in NFON trials again. So now if you try to design and think about implementation of NFON trials, Questions you come across are, well, what's the intervention that you want to compare? So do you want to compare the, the app compared to standard treatment or to not any treatment? So that's one thing you need to consider. What's the health outcome and how do you measure this? And this is where nowadays with the power of um, the digital, uh, digital power, we can think of, can we use sensors in terms of that? Can we assess? Uh, back pain, can we assess movement, physical exercise, blood pressure using sensors, and then use those as outcomes in the analysis, which actually is very powerful since one of the key features of these NFON trials is that you are able to gather enough data over time. And if you ask people once a week, how do they feel? That's very little data compared to if you assess and stream blood pressure continuously, for example. And then more precise questions, how do you design the trial? How many days in a row do you try one treatment? How many days the other? Then how many of those blocks do you incorporate? These are some important considerations for practice. And then at the beginning, do you have a baseline phase or not? And do you think that maybe there are some carryover effects of the treatments? So these are some practical considerations. Further important questions are then, this is a bit more on the user. So is the app usable? If you want to perform these NFON trials by providing and doing them digitally, that a participant does the NFON trials by looking at the app and says, all right, now use the app, now do exercise, now take your painkillers, then is the app usable? Um, and as a participant, you would be interested in how are the results visualized? How are they presented back to the participant of the app? Which then brings up another question. If you're thinking this further along, we're really right now at the intersection between research. Is that intervention, uh, does it work? Does it improve my health? Research and clinical care when I'm as a patient asking myself, does it help me? And so you can ask questions, how are those NFON trials embedded in the system? And do you need ethics proposals, for example? So this is directly a question, how you decide on which of the two streams you are, research or clinical care. So now what I've mentioned already is for these NFON trials, technological advances do provide that we can perform them digitally and use really the full power um, of them. As I mentioned, if we have sensor data that we can use, if we, we can collect uh, electronic patient reported outcomes, both for the outcomes, but then maybe also for the interventions. And if we think beyond that, also linking the data then back to EHR data, to other structural information that we have, all of those opportunities, I think now at the time and through the last years have uh, been the background why people are getting more interested because you do have all these advances and you don't have to have patients that are coming into your clinic every day so that you can ask them, well, how do you feel today? 
so that you can gather enough data. But if you can stream them, the participants uh, participate in those trials all across the country, possibly all across the world, then you can gather enough data so that you can actually draw conclusions from these trials. So if you want to perform such a study, there are many different platforms and many different apps for evaluating and for performing such NFON trials. So what you essentially need if you want to conduct an NFON trial, an app that tells you, well, that allows you to assess of the participant, the outcome, the intervention, and then uh, gathers the data and makes them available for analysis. So there are many apps out there uh, in terms of self-tracking apps that allow you to collect all this information. They, many of them are not geared towards uh, telling the participant, well, now do this intervention and now do that intervention. So when you look at some of those platforms, that's whether they are able to perform NF1 trials is whether you can actually can control and uh, experimentally what the people do. There are also many features uh, one question is whether the apps and platform are available for participants. Maybe I'll zoom in here on one platform here, uh, the MovieSense platform, a German company that are, I think, widely used for uh, studies in Germany, also internationally, that do provide many of the features where you can conduct NF1 trials. The results are reported back to the participant. It's available on some platforms. And you can also create studies quite flexibly um, there's another platform here, the Paco platform, that also has a lot of the features that can allow you to perform those digital NF1 trials. So all of these are platforms that allow you to some degree of conducting those trials. Um, some of the movie sense here is commercial uh, platform. Uh, Paco uh, is non-commercial uh, that allow you to conduct those studies. What I see here as a limitation, and that also differs from what we try to do with the StudyU platform that I'll be presenting to you in a second, is that all of those might lead to silo data, I'd say. So you can construct a study, you can perform an NFON trial, uh, conduct that even, get results back for the participants in your study, and then your study is finished, and maybe you'll do another study. However, I think there's so much more than you can do if you can perform those individual user-centric NFON trials by actually making use of all the data. And so what we came up uh, was thinking, how can we provide such a tool, such a platform that allows you to perform those studies where you can then also link the studies back, link the data and uh, do aggregated analyses. So this is here the StudyU platform that originated uh, from a master's project with students at the HPI where our aim was, well, that will provide a platform so that you can evaluate the effectiveness of health interventions on an individual level. And then also go beyond that to provide population level estimates through NFON trials. So it's a platform that should be able to design and conduct NFON trials. And so then there are these two advantages that both for researchers, they can implement their studies, hopefully through a usable tool that's usable for researchers. And then also for study participants, they can participate in those studies, maybe even design studies for themselves so that also study participants can gain from using the platform. So in that, the interactions that we set up was that the platform 
um, different researchers, maybe also physicians together, can jointly design studies through an interface that I'll show on the next screen. So they can design the study. And after the study has been conducted, maybe by multiple people, use the aggregate data and perform aggregated data analyses. Study participants then can participate in those studies that are implemented and then also get insights into their results. So I can use the platform in evaluating the effectiveness of a given intervention that's interesting for me. We've implemented both of them. Uh, so they're openly available, open source. Here are two links to the designer. So that would be the interface for the researchers, for the physicians, for logging in and designing the studies. The study app is available on Google, uh, on Android and uh, Apple uh, app stores. And here we also have a web version of it, if you want to have a look. And so that these are the two sites that are connected by a backend that we're currently setting up at the HPI that allows to conduct those studies. For that, so we've talked about the researcher that is able to design and implement those studies. Um, it's built so that there is no software developer needed. So it's built for researchers without programming experience. And then for the study participants, uh, they can choose from the different multiple studies that are available and then get the results reported back to them. With uh, the tech stack involves uh, Flutter, uh, so a common backend where both the app and the designer feed into. Uh, and it incorporates all these aspects that I've mentioned before, all the considerations that you need to make when thinking about implementing in a fund trials. So that goes, uh, we'll have a look in a second, about all those steps, what are the outcomes, interventions, when do you do those, and so on. Including also the consent. So consent of the participants so that, that they want to participate in the study and are aware of all the risks that it might encounter. So let's have a quick look of the platform that here everything is also available on GitHub. Here we have a designer and we have the app. In the designer, um, here under this URL, you, you're reaching the dashboard where you can log in as a researcher, or you can also look at the studies without logging in about the available implemented studies. And then if you want to create a new study, so it would be uh, through a button, uh, you can have an overview about published studies, draft studies that you're currently implementing. Then you'll reach this interface here, where here on the left-hand side, you have all those parts that you need to determine, like for any new study that you want to implement. So some meta information about, about the study that itself, then you need to specify what is the intervention, how are people determined whether they can participate in the study, eligibility, all those questions we're trying to provide that you can do them through the app so that the studies can be performed from the beginning fully digitally. Then you need to specify what's the outcome, how do you want to observe it, when, should that person be asked for rating their daily back pain? And then also how should the results be fed back to the participant? So these are all the elements that go into designing the study. And then all of those uh, through the backend are available to the participants that use the app. 
here on the right hand side. So let's have a look at the app, where then you have, after you agree to the terms of use of StudyU, you have the different studies available that are saved and published in the back end. You have the meta information about the study. It was one thing we had to specify on the researcher end about the study, who is the conductor, what's the contact information, then also where was the study reviewed, so what's the ethics uh, committee and even the name um, and the number of the ethics uh, approval for the specific study. Then uh, you can get an overview after making sure that you're eligible to study about which interventions maybe that you cannot choose. In that instance here, you can choose between different interventions that you want to do. Then you'll see as a participant the journey. So how will it look like over the next weeks? How long will the study run? And then you'll get daily reminders um, on your phone where you're then asked at the specified times in that instance here that you have to rate your gastrointestinal complaints. How do you feel on different scales that are implemented? So that was a brief overview of StudyU. What we're now working on and what we have worked on are extensions of that. So while StudyU is really focused on the researcher in designing the study, we've also worked on StudyMe, where we think of user-centric NFON trials in a sense that it's now the study participant that is designing and implementing the study. So it's another app that's also available on the app stores which is currently not linked to StudyU. So in cur the current implementation of StudyMe, all the data is saved locally on the phone and the study participant can generate the data and conduct a full end of one trial on his phone on whatever he wants to evaluate. So I've looked into this and also thought of for designing such a tool, we have to adapt the language so that also somebody that's not a researcher um, and uh, maybe has no prior uh, experience in how to optimally plan such a trial and uh, what an outcome maybe is of rephrasing and of implementing that, that everybody can use it. So here's a link uh, to a preprint uh, where we're describing StudyMe. And also, if you're interested in here, there's another uh, very interesting group uh, at Brown University that have also uh, done work on along similar lines and also implemented an app called Selfie for these user-centric NFON trials. Now that, so that was on the platform side. Are there any questions so far before I'll go and talk a little bit about methods? All right, let's have a look at some of the methods, different aspects that come up now for planning and then analyzing those studies. So one question that you might come up with, all right, I can do if I want to get population level estimates. So let's say I'm not really interested in the participant, uh, but I'm really caring about getting those population level estimates. Should I do randomized controlled trial? A typical one, standard one, no crossover, just one observation? Or should I implement those series of NFON trials with multiple people? So that's one question where which people have targeted to some extent, which shows that um, what you might expect if you have participants that you're observing over time, every one of them provides more data so that you need less people compared to a standard 
RCT to reach the same statistical power of that. So that's one result uh, that has been shown in statistical studies. Also then, if you do have on the same topic RCTs available, you can do meta-analyses uh, type of analysis and then get even more powerful results. Uh, now, there still are some questions. How do you exactly and in which situation design an optimal trial? Um, because uh, it's not always the case that NFON trials are more powerful, even maybe if you take more external considerations into context, like costs, for a given cost, what's the optimal design? And that's one area that we're currently working on here at the HPI and deriving, trying to derive guidelines on and suggestions under which circumstances is which kind of design more useful. For example, how many crossovers should you do and how many participants should you incorporate in the study? Once you've planned your study, then as the question is at the very end of it, how do you analyze the data? That is both for individual level analyses, but also for population level analyses. And for that, uh, you can either apply standard analysis for clinical trials or for any type of uh, analysis where you're interested in the effect of an intervention on an outcome. So that's, for example, t-test, ANOVA mixed models, time series models when you're looking over time. Some of them uh, need slight adapt adaptations if you want to apply them for the individual level analyses. So you can think of aggregated t-tests uh, and what is very often used also is uh, our Bayesian uh, regression methods or Bayesian mixed models. What an advantage of them are that I wanted to point out here is that they do allow the kind of interpretation that you cannot obtain from frequentist methods. And for that instance, when you want to feed back the results to the participant, I also think that it can be very helpful if the app, the study you app, the study me app, can at the very end tell the participant, well, based on the data that we've gathered for you, um, it shows that with 99% for posterior probability, let's maybe disregard for the communication to the participant, the posterior. So with 99% probability, you will reach a clinically meaningful treatment effect. So the back pain app really works for you with 99% probability. So that's a definite advantage that I see in the Bayesian regression methods. Then I think this is also one of the reasons why they are very often used in the analysis of NFON trials. If you think about the analysis a little bit more, uh, then you also can realize quite soon that while standard t-tests and maybe also Bayesian regression models per se are very intuitive uh, for evaluating those treatment effects, oftentimes the situation is more complicated than that. So you can imagine that the outcome changes over time because you have those time series and hopefully your intervention has an effect. There might also be external influences on your outcome. And the treatment also is very just because you're applying two different treatments over time, or maybe even you're adapting the treatment over time. But if you think of that situation, and let's consider the app that implements, let's say, physical exercise, then you can imagine such a causal structure that maybe if the app tells me to exercise today, um, that maybe has some effect on the pain levels today. Maybe I'll sleep better, so it also affects my pain tomorrow. 
maybe if I'm exercising, I'm also building up some muscles. So there's also an effect of the exercise itself on tomorrow, as well as exercising tomorrow. And so very soon, if you think about it, you're coming up with a quite complex causal graph like that, that you should consider in the analysis. Or if you do not consider it in the analysis, you might get biased estimates for your treatment effect. So this is one other example of methods that we're looking at at the HPI, for example, Thomas Gärtner here, that's also on the call of thinking about which are the best methods actually for analyzing this in such a time-dependent scenario. Now, these were some of the statistical considerations that we're working with. Um, what we're aiming for now is study you. We're running the first actual clinical trials, clinical NF1 trials using study you on the platform. So we're gathering first evidence on also the usability from the participants. What we eventually hope for is a wider adaptation so that we can aggregate data from different trials, from different persons, integrate also study me, so the user design trials into the platform integrate adaptive trials into the platform so that you then have a wider pool of data available, potentially every researcher, for then looking into, all right, this is the outcome of interest. Let's think about what we can do with the data provided by these participants from that study and from that study. So that's our vision, what we would hope uh, to build StudyU, so that with that, we can then think more about both empowering the individual but then also generating population level research. And I do think that this is a very interesting question then to think of, well, how does it actually mean if that platform is wider adapted and the link that it might provide between those population level studies and personalized medicine. With that, I want to thank uh, all the collaborators on the project. So the different chairs at the HBI, Christoph Lippert, Erwin uh, Bettinger, Bert Anrich, PhD students uh, who are working on the project together, um, many master students also that provided uh, and that are currently also redesigning the StudyU platform, and then collaboration partners in uh, at the Medical Hochschule Brandenburg in Hamburg, and then also in New York at Mount Sinai. With that, I'll stop here, um, and I'm happy to discuss uh, more, any questions you might have, uh, comments you might have on the platform. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Stefan. Uh, now we can have questions from the audience. Aaron? Yes, Shannon. Thanks a lot. I, I hope you can hear me right. Um, yeah. yeah and I hope I didn't misunderstand. Maybe I missed it. I don't know. But so in future, it would also be possible that I conduct the study, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but is it not like a bit uh, dangerous? Because I mean, I have no clue, uh, but as a researcher or doctor, you already know, okay, my treatment probably will take, I don't know, seven days or whatever. And it does have crossover effects or whatever. But as a normal person, let's say, um, maybe I could come to a different conclusion because I don't know these kind of things. Um, yeah. I don't know, like, uh, did you also like take this into account or? Um... Absolutely. So I think that that's a great question. Um, I fully agree with you. So um, what, we, what we're working on now currently is um, 
coming up with suggestions for the design of a study um, that you can then provide to the individual. Because I fully agree, and actually designing such a trial, even for experts, is not easy, actually. So what I, what I mentioned earlier, that also even for the situation that you are an expert, you need to make many different assumptions, and it's still current ongoing research, what is the optimal study design? Should you rather do four blocks of three days or should you do three blocks of four days, for example? Or should you, how long? Should you run it for two months or half a year? Even that is not so straightforward. But then what you can do is what we as researchers do if we're doing a typical sample size calculations, we need to make some assumptions and then we can do a sample size calculation. And so what we're aiming for is uh, when we're extending this to NF1 trials, that we can then in the background of the study app have some recommender system that collects information from the user that says, I want to study the effect of ibuprofen on my uh, headache levels. Then, and then you can imagine different scenarios. Maybe you'll make a PubMed query. Um, uh, maybe you have a stock of references on that. Maybe you have um, another user that has done a similar study so that you can then in the background uh, do some calculations and then trying to make a suggestion what an optimal treatment might be. Another very interesting approach on that is also what we're looking into adaptive trials. So that means what you can do in such a context also where you don't know the optimal study design, you run it for a week and then you make an interim evaluation and then you'll change or adapt the treatment and say, all right, what we've gathered so far, this is how we should design it. So these are uh, exactly what you're saying. These are big challenges, but also I think some of the interesting methodological issues that we're working on. Yeah, true. Uh, perfect. I mean, uh, it makes totally sense. Maybe you can also talk to Florian Borchardt. I think he's working on NLP and yeah. how to, like, I don't know, gather information out of uh, like new studies and, uh, I don't know, give recommendations or guidelines. I, I don't know, yeah. just, just a suggestion. Absolutely. Yeah. I will have a second question, but uh, I think Bennett also wants to ask something. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you. It's, it's a very interesting presentation. Um, so uh, I'm just wondering about your opinion on kind of other methods of uh, estimating uh, personalized treatment effect. Uh, because, you know, the methods that are some that are emerging now is the whole concept of digital twin. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, if you take the data from existing uh, randomized controlled trials and then, you know, you apply this. Or even what's even more interesting, I think, is uh, you know um, trying to discover uh, causal relationships using observational data. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering how these kind of methods would would compare to your your approach here. Yeah. So a, a first question, uh, a first answer from my side would be, I think looking into this comparison, and that's a very interesting research project. So maybe we we, we can follow up on this. Um, I do think that they provide different perspectives. And so um, that if we're, if the aim is obtaining individualized treatment effects, I think one approach is like you're saying is you can use observational data and then try to see observational population level data and see how can you obtain those inferences, those estimates using machine learning or using statistics, or you can design the study 
exactly geared for this. And I think eventually it all boils down to how, um, well, how can you adjust for confounding or any biases in the data? And if the assumptions of your statistical models are valid, then you can obtain also unbiased individual treatment effects from population level data. Um, I guess it's a question of if, if those assumptions are satisfied. And I think like you're saying, there's a growing body of, of evidence that if they're satisfied, you can obtain those. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you still always need to make many assumptions about that you don't have any uh, um, unobserved confounding variables, for example. And I think these are then the challenges that you potentially can circumvent by a good design of your individualized treatment of your NFON trials. So I think the more direct approach would be if you're if you're able to implement an NFON trial, then you try to account for all those confounding variables by design. Oh, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. But uh, I mean, the downside is that I see is you you'll have to implement them, um, and on the other hand, you might have available data, which obviously is a big resource. So I do think that they uh, working on the methods for that is a very interesting concept also. Yeah. Now, I think we have Chloe with another question. Yeah. Um, hello. Um, really Hi. nice talk. Thank you very much. So um, just a bit background. So I'm a PhD student at University of Manchester. I'm also looking at so chronic pain. Um, my study is at, so just in time depth intervention. So I was just trying to know that if you have any um, idea about the difference between NFM trial and also the other one is micro-randomized trial because I was trying to design a study and I'm just trying to think mm -hmm. out which one is better. And as mm -hmm. I just realized, um, another thing is about the app. I was just thinking because um, we also want to sort of use mobile or sensor technology so to, to pull data from patients. And then based on the data, we're going to deliver like different intervention. And does the mm -hmm. app sort of collect data from patients or do they um, deliver a sort of adapt intervention to the patient as well? Great you. question. Uh, so I'm, uh, I do see it through your first question, uh, NFON trials and micro-randomized trials as a continuum, so to say. Right. So I think there are a couple of papers, uh, many of them from the group of Susan Murphy at Harvard also that have actually written quite nice papers on how they compare the two designs. And you can, so there are some differences what MRTs and NFON trials typically look at, but I think very often as when you go beyond the typical use cases, the border between the two are blurred. And so I'll try to explain what I mean by this is that uh, typically NFON trials, you can think of applying them when you really have um, fixed treatments. So you're comparing, let's say one treatment to, ba to baseline and you, you don't have any crossovers, you don't have any adaptive treatments, you're looking at the effect on chronic pain that is something stable. Um, and this is a typical design. And maybe in micro-randomized trials, typically your design is that you do have some adaptations and you're asking, um, what's, uh, how can I adapt or which of the components is the most appropriate one for that? So typically the questions that you would ask, which you can differentiate the two is in NF1 trials, is a treatment effective? 
And you can evaluate that by comparing it to baseline or to another treatment. So is that treatment um, um, efficient? Um, does the treatment uh, improve health? Whereas typically in micro-randomized trials, you're looking at how can I adapt my treatment? So like you're saying, um, can I, if I provide a treatment based on external factors like sensors that I'm gathering um, in these just-in-time interventions, how can I best adapt the treatment to the given situation um, to reach the best outcome? So that's one of the difference that you can make. Another difference you can make is that very often in micro-randomized trials, you're looking at a proximal outcome. So a proximal outcome uh, that might be something that you can measure where you have a direct effect soon afterwards um, and typically not at a more distant outcome. Um, and so what you might do is uh, you could check, well, I'm changing, and this is also now an example, I think, of those micro-randomized studies um, that have been published uh, that you're looking at if I'm nudging people to go outside, does it increase their daily steps of physical activity? Um, so you might evaluate and design your app like this, but eventually you're interested in actually changing blood pressure or heart, heart outcomes. And so there often also the focus is not on the distant outcome that NF1 trials would often look like, look at, but a more proximal outcome. So I think these are some of the differences between the two. However, as I've mentioned, if you think about adapting your NF1 trials, uh, then the border already gets blurred a little bit. So you can think about adapting NF1 trials and adaptive NF1 trials, then you're already in a scenario that is closer to micro-randomized trials. Um, so I think really you can eventually look at them as a, a two designs for a study that are on a continuum. So I'd, I'd be happy to follow up on this uh, because this is one of the things also that I'm interested in. And actually now um, uh, beyond study U, now so far we've implemented NF1 trials, but now I'm planning to integrate uh, and uh, work on micro-randomized trials also. Okay, yeah. cool. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Chloe. Now we have Mitya. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you have this uh, pretty nifty application. I like it. Uh, now, let's say I, I want to use it either to, to study something about myself or to do some kind of research. Uh, and so I, I, I basically wonder what's your business plan? Uh, you know, so if I if I make this decision to use your application, and then in the middle of my study, I don't know, somebody graduates, goes away, your server is turned off, that's not good. So how how do you plan to maintain and develop this thing in the future? Yeah, yeah, uh, very important question, <laughs> obviously. Um, so. Um, Currently, uh, what you see, uh, the deployment is in the cloud, um, and we're currently setting up. Uh, we're setting it up on uh, virtual machines at the HPI. Uh, is the problem on my side, or did mm, Stefan freeze? I, I, I think, think on his side. Yes. Okay, Stefan is back. 
Stephanie, you're mute. Uh, okay. Hello again. <laughs> so I didn't try to flee from the question. Um, uh, so I got cut off, yes. Um, yeah, so uh, we're currently setting it up uh, locally on HPI servers. Um, and uh, I guess what we were saying is are one of the reasons to that. So one is that we can have the data in the back end of the different studies on EU grounds, EU grounds, and also that we are uh, administering it. Um, and we're not dependent on some cloud services. Obviously for that, we need administers uh, so that uh, I'll need to make sure uh, that we currently have, we always have a consistent uh, supervision and administering of the platforms to make sure that it's working. So I guess then this is just, yeah, admin uh, work that we need to do uh, in order to provide the platform. Um, my vision really is of building it as an open source platform. So like you're asking about business plan, of course you can think about, uh, and there are apps obviously that are similar-ish um, that are now, um, that are movie sense I've mentioned, companies that are marketing mm -hmm. uh, this, um, that are out there. Uh, this is what I see as a difference and uh, for really providing this open source platform uh, that can provide that interaction. Um, and uh, obviously we're still in building up uh, the, the resource and gathering more information also to invite users. So many of that is uh, what we'll hope then to build up on this. Um, and um, maybe another point that I should mention on that is definitely the question on the designing of the studies. Uh, so a very relevant point. So one is data privacy, how the data is saved. Uh, we do store all the data anonymized. So there at no point uh, do we collect person identifiable information though, so that we can save it on the back end. Um, but then obviously data security is, is an issue. Uh, and then also um, an issue is um, the designing of the studies and at what point and to what level are we invested as say platform providers. So um, if now somebody new comes in and wants to implement uh, a researcher, a study investigating the effect of smoking on lung cancer, um, do we, uh, what do we do as platform providers? Um, and so how we've approached is of, uh, in the terms of use, um, making sure that the researcher has to get ethics approval for implementing such a study. But then that's another point of view, how uh, point how we try to um, work in that situation. Um, and by there, through that, maybe also trying to install trust from the participant side. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, does that answer some of the questions or? Uh, yeah, some of it. And I, I guess that a part of the answer is also that you're not sure about what the future will bring because future is hard to predict. Well, I guess with, with any platform or with uh, any uh, that is upcoming, uh, we will have to do research also mm -hmm. on how users, um, what they're interested in, and uh, how to attract users uh, to using the platform. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Does anyone else have questions? 
Maybe a last one, Stefan, if you don't mind, a very, very quick the last one. The thing is, it's, it's, it's more an egoistic move. <laughs> the thing is, I also want to try to publish a paper about an app. So how do you convince? I, I mean, the thing is, uh, like, did you go, because I saw you had an archive link, um, did you go for an engineering conference or journal? And how do you try to convince a reviewer? So did you do a user experience or... How does it work? In terms of publishing, um, yeah. I, I see you have two options. Uh, one is that you'll do some empirical research and then you can potentially, sub so talking about journals. Um, let me just focus on journals because we've targeted journals for the publications. And so one way is that you'll do some empirical studies and then you're, you can potentially submit it to any journal um, as long as you have empirical uh, research. And empirical research can either be some evaluation, feasibility, uh, user uh, study, evaluating the usability of the platform. Or uh, obviously people can conduct a trial using the platform and then publishing a paper on that. So maybe just publishing the platform along with it. Um, on the other hand, if you just have the platform, um, you could try and submit it as um, many of the journals nowadays also have sections uh, where commentary sections, data resource sections, software sections, where you can also fit in there. Yeah. Yeah. We've done in, in the study U, uh, we had uh, such a paper that will soon be uh, published in JMIR, Journal uh, of Medical Internet Research. Um, hopefully, uh, so it was accepted and should be in press. Uh, uh, so hopefully it will be out there soon and they have such a section um, for this kind of resources. And for the study me paper, we did some empirical evaluation. Uh, so then we could submit it as a regular um, research paper. Yeah, perfect. It, it was uh, JAMIA, right? Uh, J-M-I-R, right? Okay. Yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Thanks a lot, Stefan. Sure. So does anyone has more questions? So if not, um, Professor Stefan, thank you once again for the very interesting presentation. Uh, thank you to the audience for being here today and see you all in our next White Health Seminar. Thank you, bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks again, Stefan, bye. Thanks, goodbye. Thanks, bye. Bye-bye.